Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast. Subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. With me today, I'm super excited. I always love having artists on the show because it's a medium that I love to do, but I am not a skilled professional in it. Um, so this person is a very skilled professional in it. Uh, an award-winning illustrator, uh, a designer, a incredible performer, uh, voice actor, and a bunch of other things that uh, they'll get into. So yeah, if you would like to introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Nala or Jay. I go by both. I use they, them pronouns, and I am on Twitter at NalaWu and at NalaDraws. If you'd like to see my artwork, I am also at NalaDraws on every other social media out there. Mm-hmm. Um, as Navar just said, I am a professional illustrator and art director working full-time doing freelance in tabletop RPGs. Besides that, I am a voice actor, sensitivity reader, and cultural consultant, TTRPG content creator, and actual play stream performer. Um, yeah. And I am super excited to be here. Thanks for having yeah, me. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on. Um, like I said, I mean, art is such a big thing. And you, I think, of the, of the many artists that I know, I think you might have some of the most, like, the most professional experience. So I'm I'm, ha- I'm excited to talk to you about that. Um, but where I always like to get started is how did you get into nerd stuff in general? I was um, always the weird kid and i think a lot of us can like relate to that um i had undiagnosed adhd um until sophomore year of high school i think is when i got diagnosed for adhd finally and it wasn't even until like late college that i started like actually reading more research and listening uh, to other like content creators who have ADHD talk about their experiences. And it made me realize that there is a lot more to ADHD than I originally thought. 
Yeah. Um, but my very first experience playing anything similar to a TTRPG was in elementary school at an after-school program that my town had. Um, a bunch of boys were playing this like really watered down version of D and D. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it was. I don't know what they were calling it. But it had graph paper, you had a six-sided dice, and you basically could roll the dice to move your character around, and you Mm -hmm. would explore a dungeon that was drawn on the graph paper. I don't remember what we called what would be the GM. I don't know what we called them, but um, it it was... That was the first experience I ever had playing that game, and I was like, well, this is, you know, I kind of, you know, I feel like... Yeah, it's fun, but you know, mm. there's other more fun things to do, like trading Pokemon cards and trading yeah. silly bands and yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh and Bakugan and <laughs> all mm-hmm. of the other stuff that kids are into. Crazy Bones, you remember mm, those? I don't. But anyway, um, I'm really dating myself there, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time. Um, but like, I do you remember what into... Blockbuster Video is? Uh, I actually do. I I may be young, but I I do know what Blockbuster is. And actually, my family still goes to the video store. We have a uh, membership at a video store where we can go and get DVDs to bring home and watch. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Those still exist. Yeah. Um, But anyway, uh, high school is um, like senior year of high school. um, One of my friends... um, was like, you know, I'm really into this podcast called The Adventure Zone, and they're playing a game called Dungeons and Dragons. Do you want to mm. try it? And I was like, that sounds really cool because, you know, it was pitched to me as like, you make a character and you just tell a story together. And, yeah. you know, I'd I'd always been into all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll give it a try. And I loved it. Then mm. I went to college and joined my school's tabletop gaming club and um the rest is history yeah Uh, and what i love about tabletop so much is just it combines all of my favorite things together like i have a theater background a theater kid you know um as a character designer as someone who's always loved creative writing and telling stories with other people um and also it's just social time and my love language is quality time. So I love playing these games and yeah. I fell in love so quickly. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. When did you, when did you start theater? Ooh. Okay. My first show I believe was, um, it was called the enchantment of beauty and the beast. And it was not the Disney's beauty and the beast. It was some mm-hmm. weird random off brand beauty and the beast. Um, that show was when I was in, I want to say fourth or third grade and i remember i had to quit soccer because i played town soccer i had to quit soccer to start theater because my parents were like you can't do too many extracurricular activities (laughs) so it was somewhere around third or fourth grade um and that was my first show and i fell in love with that and i was doing i think i've done 16 or 17 plays and musicals since then Oh wow. It's been a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I like what um I mean, I think as a kid it's, you know, we do a lot of make believe and stuff. But what about it? What about theater specifically like kept you kept you interested through throughout the years? Um, I am a very big extroverted person. I think I've mm. always loved performing. I've always loved um like I 
I don't know how to say this without sounding like full of myself, but like <laughs> I've always loved the spotlight. And that's just something yeah, yeah. that I think, um, you know, it's not necessarily like, oh, I had to have the lead role because I, I rarely had the lead role. I was always, mm. um, if not ensemble, then, you know, supporting roles. I got typecast as like the villains as a child mm. a lot because I was loud. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I, I was in a production of Annie once and they cast me as Pepper which is mm. the mean orphan. And okay. out of all the orphan um, characters, I they didn't give me a mic because they were like, you're loud enough. You don't need a mic. <laughs> I was like, but I want a mic though. Uh, <laughs> I want to be like everybody else. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, I think like having ADHD, um, getting to lose yourself in a character and getting to perform on stage um, was huge for me like socially but mm. also like there's something to be said about how theater and acting as someone else is almost like masking your neurodivergency but yeah. instead of like masking as a quote-unquote normal person uh you get to pretend to be someone else Mm -hmm. um, and you're doing this in an environment that is generally very supportive um, and generally very fun. Um, mm. And uh, I just loved like, this sounds so cheesy. I, I loved like how close you get with your cast after like yeah. months of rehearsals together. Yeah. And um, I don't know, it, like, like theater sounds like a cult to anyone who's never done theater before um so i don't know how to describe it other than that you just gotta try it and um i have experience both on and off stage um uh in high school i was a, an award-winning props designer uh, i also <laughs> did set painting i have a background in theatrical makeup design um and uh briefly costuming so lo yeah. lots of stuff i love theater <laughs> yeah but, you know, I think, like, to that end, like, you're right. Like, I, I do remember being high, in high school and, like, knowing kids who were in theater and being like, yeah, this does seem a little bit culty. But I think, like, when you look at it now as an adult, it's easy to understand when you think about, like, how what you're doing and the way that your brain processes that information. And I think in, in a lot of ways, it's like when you have that good table, like a TTRPG table, it's the same thing of like, you just, you enjoy the people you're around, you're creating these amazing memories, um, telling these incredible stories together. And so it's hard not to have some level of emotional bleed, I think in those moments. Um, and then if you genuinely just enjoy the people outside of the performance, like it, you know, that's just an added, added bonus to that. Yeah, and what I like about um, tabletop that theater usually can't provide is um, just going back to like everything that's ever inspired me ever is just growing up and seeing um, in media there wasn't people who look like me and stories mm -hmm. that I felt represented my experience because like I can relate to the themes of, you know, all the Disney movies that center um, like white characters. Like I'm still able to relate to them because that's, I think just the magic of storytelling and being able to relate to stories that don't, you know, specifically feature you, but yeah. um, you know, I still wasn't seeing things that really resonated with me. And um, I knew uh, by, like the second year of high school, I wanted to become an artist. And originally I wanted to work in VizDev for animation because I was like, I want to help bring stories about people like me 
to the big screen because every kid deserves to see people that are positive representations of their communities. Yeah. Um, and I think like how this links to like theater and stuff is like the, the, you know, theater is great. Um, but as far as like Asian representation in theater goes, it's pretty much, uh, not great. There are very few musicals written by Asian people. Mm -hmm. Um, and the musicals that feature Asian characters that are written by white people are, um, how do I put this? Very racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You look at shows like The King and I and Miss Saigon and um, mm. Thoroughly Modern Millie and all of these other shows that when I was younger, um, I, I was like, oh, these are the shows for me. These are the shows mm -hmm. that have characters that look like me. And then, you know, you listen to the music and you're like, hold up. <laughs> Yeah. This is hold on. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> and that's what I love yeah. about tabletop is that um you can tell the stories that you want to see and you mm -hmm. can have characters that, you know, are representative of you because you are the one who is creating them. And yeah. that is yet another thing on the list of why I love tabletop. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. I think I think it makes a, a huge difference to be able to have that freedom to uh, freedom to create and freedom to express yourself that way um, and share those with other people who may also like be coming into their own about how they want to express themselves in the representation, um, which I think is like really cool, especially as an artist. Like when did, when did, when did art start for you? And like, you know, what was that transition like of, of going from like, I'm, you know, learning to draw, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's like, now I'm, fully trying to express myself through my art to representation. I'm going to try and keep this brief because I could talk for a very long time about this. Thanks, ADHD. But the long, <laughs> the short of the long, no, what's the phrase? <laughs> the long the and short of it? Yeah, that. <laughs> long story short, um, I was, again, a kid in... Um, elementary school uh mm. who had undiagnosed adhd and uh, i was being bullied by my friends who all decided that i was too weird and they didn't mm. want to hang out with me anymore and they did not want to be my friend because they found me incredibly annoying um but mm. what they didn't realize is that the weird that they hated so much was all of my undiagnosed adhd manifesting in neurodivergent behaviors that yeah. they didn't like um and at the time, I had thought, oh, well, <clears throat> they don't want to be my friend, and nobody wants to be my friend, but there's this other girl in my grade who knows how to draw, and everybody loves her drawings, and they give her attention for her drawings, so if I mm. learn how to draw, maybe people will like me. Mm. Um, and so I... Uh, this was around the same time I was quitting soccer, so I, I quit soccer and turned to theater and art and so mm -hmm. i got myself signed up for some art classes um art classes weren't very good um the way that they're teaching art was very not neurodivergent friendly it was kind of like draw a dot okay now draw a second dot okay connect the dots yeah and then yeah. repeat and oh look you've drawn a cat like it was yeah. it was very like not it wasn't very fun mm -hmm. um so i quit art classes after like one or two sessions um it, it, and then i just was self-taught for uh, the rest of elementary school and you know um looking back i did get attention for being a quote-unquote good artist but 
that didn't make people like me. That n- yeah. didn't work. Um, but uh, moving into middle school, high school, I was still like very like self-taught. Um, but by the time I was like late middle school, um, I went back to art classes, and these more advanced classes were a lot better. Um, I was taking like these intensive portraiture classes uh, outside of school, as well as like once I got to high school, I was taking the like in-school art classes. I was doing um, classes at, at um, Mass College of Art on the weekends, doing like life drawing. Um, I threw myself into it. And uh, by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I knew that I wanted to go to art school. And so began the long process of convincing my parents that art school was a good idea and that art school <laughs> would be a worthy investment. Yeah. Um, but uh, like I said earlier, like I I wanted to my inspiration has always been increasing the positive representation of marginalized groups in media. And um, that has carried through everything that I do, even as I got to art school and realized, nah, I don't really like animation's cool, but like working in tabletop just like, like fits everything just so much better for me. Like I, I got like, I don't know. I, I I pivoted towards that, and I kind of never looked back. Um, I still love animation. I still would do VizDev for animation, but um, I like I like where I am in tabletop currently, and I like the stuff that I've been able to do. Um, and it's fulfilled me creatively, which is really nice. Um, yeah. Do you feel like um, because like tabletop, the business side of it has like it's booming now in, in a way, but it's still very small. Yeah, um, sure. Do you feel like it was difficult as an artist to like gain traction there? Uh, something that I didn't mention is that I have had, um, I don't know if I call it a lucky streak, but um, <laughs> I've had um, relatively sure. I'll call it luck on social media. Mm. Um, I've gone viral several times since middle school by accident like for Mm. things that like i i didn't even like try to like go viral for yeah um if you search rainbow eye drawing on google um i'm pretty sure something i made when i was 14 still shows up um because i started a trend and it's there (laughs) and (laughs) it will follow me for the rest of my life um but the long short of that is that by the time i finished High school, I had 50,000 followers on Instagram, and it was kind of wild because it was, like, tons of people, uh, like, my audience was mostly younger than me, so it was all, like, other high schoolers or younger, Mm -hmm. and I was getting, like, recognized in public when I, like, went to New York City. People would find me, and they would be like, oh, my God, it's Nala Draws. Can I take a picture (laughs) with you? And it was, like, 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 if I'm going to be completely honest, it, it fucked me up. Like it yeah. messed up my, like my mental health. And I'm mm. still unlearning a lot of the things that I had ingrained in me because the fact is I have been a content creator TM uh, mm-hmm. since I was 13. And that is a yeah. very, very, very long time um, to be sort of in this mindset of creating things and posting things and looking for validation from strangers on the internet yeah um but uh i think um sorry what was the original question i don't remember um 
gosh, oh, like getting into this because because the industry is so young, oh, getting right. into okay. um yeah, into the so, teacher RPG space as an artist. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So when I was in college, I kind of decided I wanted to start over my Instagram. So I made a new account and I was on Instagram. And, you know, I wasn't gaining the same traction as I was before because Instagram was also changing its policies and it became very um hostile but it was it was very um it was very hard for artists to continue to do well on instagram um yeah. because they were favoring video content and mm. uh, artists were getting pushed under with the algorithm and it was very mm. hard to like get your posts seen um and it was much harder to quote unquote go viral than it was before also all my audience like i mentioned earlier is younger than me so these weren't people who were going to have the money, resources, or connections to get me hired at any sort of professional job. Yeah. Um, these people, you know, liked when I drew Disney fan art, and they liked when I drew, you know, whatever. And but like, you know, th there was little to no support for like my own original IPs and stuff that I was working on. So, um, yeah. around that time, I was, I thought, you know, I'll join Twitter. You know, Twitter, <laughs> Twitter's cool, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, again, with the whole like accidentally going viral thing, I had a post um, absolutely take off within the tabletop space. Um, and I started gaining traction on Twitter and I was like trying to meet more people. And then that winter, um, this was 2019, I went to PAX Unplugged in 2019 mm -hmm. and I met a ton of people and I was like, okay, like this is the space for me, yeah. you know, whatever. Like this is where I want to be, and um, I uh, I think that I I think a combination of like making posts that were sort of more on the educational side because those are the kind of things that people would share. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that that helped me gain traction as far as like being a person that people uh followed or knew of or whatnot and then also yeah. just being there at Pax Unplugged was useful in meeting people and you know I had business cards so like networking and all of that mm. um and I was able to like talk to companies and be like hey um I am an illustration student and um I'm you know wondering what it's like uh how is the freelance hiring process for your company like and so i got to like face to face time with people um and uh i think from there then the pandemic hit and you know i started doing more stuff online and mm -hmm. um i s started performing in actual plays um i believe my first actual play was also 2019 um so like the streaming kind of goes hand in hand with all of that uh, mm -hmm. because I know that, you know, all the people that I play games with or people that watch me perform, you know, they they might be like, oh, Jay's cool. Uh, oh, and Jay also happens to be an artist. So, you know, if we need art, maybe we hire Jay. Um, and so like that's been sort of like it wasn't really the intent for me to like do these actual play things as like work. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of turned into that, and I'm kind of okay with that, I guess, because I enjoy <laughs> it, and it's the most fun work I could do. Yeah. Um, and it really has helped me w as far as, like, connections and whatnot uh, goes. And um, I was booking work, uh, professional work, in tabletop before I even got out of school. So that made the transition from leaving school, 
and transitioning into full-time freelance really easy because I was saying no to a lot of projects uh, while yeah. in school because I had schoolwork and mm -hmm. I couldn't handle, uh, you know, freelance full-time and doing art for school. Like that's, that's too much art. That's uh, a lot, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the transition post-graduating um, has been pretty smooth. I've just been able to ramp up the amount of work that I've been taking and um, all of that stuff. Yeah. I hope that that was a really long-winded answer. No, but you're I hope good. This is yeah. This is your episode. You can <laughs> be as long as you want. Um, <laughs> no, but I. So I'm curious, like in that regard, um, something that I feel like I've noticed, like the dynamics of the TTRPG space are kind of uh, they can be weird sometimes in how like uh, what what things get favored over other things yeah. um, in terms of like the the field like if you're like i just do design or i just do freelance writing or whatever um but it seems like teach rpg performers don't get taken seriously in terms of profession but they also gain more it it seems gain more traction like if you are a teacher rpg performer you can gain more traction uh with like your twitter audience or whatever um than you would just doing other stuff do you feel like that's true for for you and other people that you've seen? That's a really great question. Um, I think being on the streams is kind of like the most forward-facing thing you can be doing. And mm. like, I'm speaking as like somebody who, like I said, has been doing content creation since I was 13. It's been a yeah. long time. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I know a thing or two about how these social media things work. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, I do agree with you. I think um, if you're performing in these actual plays, that is entertainment. And mm. I think it is a lot easier to get people who are interested in you or your platform or um, you as like a quote unquote personality in this mm. space. Like if you're doing all these forward facing things, like when I, you know, dress up in character and go on these shows multiple times a week. Um, I'm providing entertainment for people, and that's something that is easily consumable um, mm. and that people can watch and be fans of and can be like, wow, I really liked this performance, blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas if you are, say, like just an illustrator or just a writer, not that that is any less than um, performance, right. but it is much harder, I think, to get people to buy into like the interest in that like yeah. my art posts never do well like mm. as far as like numbers go yeah, yeah. like getting people to try and retweet my art is painful um the art posts of mine that have done the best are usually art posts that also have to do with a particular tabletop stream that i'm a part of or something yeah. like that um or if you know someone else with a more um bigger platform than me uh retweets it um and boosts me in that way um yeah. but i've definitely noticed that like i i attribute all of my professional career to um to my presence on twitter and when i say my presence on twitter that means my tweeting and my um actual play stuff and like everything that's not art that i also do all of that contributes to me building my brand and building 
you know, my platform or whatever. Like, I hate calling myself a brand. Like, I really, really I hate that. <laughs> I hate the term content creator. But like, it's so weird. That though. that's that's what I am. And you know, if I can make people aware of me and perceive me because I am, I don't know, funny on Monday nights, or I'm, mm. you know, I, I I break your heart on Tuesdays or whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, if that'll get my work in front of you and at the end of every show where I'm like, I'm an illustrator, you should, here's my portfolio, you know, I'm yeah. looking for work. You know, if that'll get my work in front of people, so be it. And mm. it it, it kind of stinks that it's that way, but yeah. it's working for me. So I don't complain. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I think, it, yeah, it is, it's the whole thing is such a weird uh, system that we, that we have to work through when it comes to teach RPGs. So, um, but I, I do love getting your perspective. So thank you for sharing that. Um, what, one of the things you mentioned uh, briefly, which people who don't know, you might not know, but like you talked about, you know, do, putting on these costumes for your characters, like um, when it comes to costuming, was that something that you like, the first AP you did, you're like, I'm going to dress up as my character. Or is this something that like you developed over time where you just, maybe that theatrical side kicked in and you're like, I want to, I want to not only perform the part, but look the part. Definitely the second one. Um, I can actually go back. Um, I, I keep a stream CV. It's a spreadsheet where I keep track of every single um, stream I'm ever on and who I'm yeah. on it with and what game we played and links to the VODs, et cetera. Um, and I don't know if I dressed up for the first two, mm -hmm. but definitely the third one, I remember putting on a costume for that. Yeah. And that was January 14th, 2020. Oh yeah. Um, and, <laughs> before and, and the world burned, it, huh? I said before the world burned. Yeah. Before the world burned. Um, and I think like what you said, absolutely. Like the theatrical side kicked in. Um, I mentioned earlier, I have a background in theatrical makeup design. I have, mm. um, you know, I used to cosplay in high school. So that's kind yeah. of where like my knowledge of like wig styling came from and like that sort of thing. But like my interest in character design influences how I costume myself for these looks and my mm. background in theatrical makeup design has influenced how I do my makeup because doing stream makeup is different than doing theatrical makeup, which is different from doing like street makeup. And so like right. all these different um, techniques and skills, um, you know, no one taught me how to do stream makeup, but mm. you know, I learned very quickly that when I do it in the mirror and look at it in the mirror, it's not necessarily going to show up on camera. So whenever I do my stream makeup, I'm actually doing it to my camera and I'm looking at yeah. a little preview and seeing if it shows up there because that's the only thing that matters. I right. look like a goofball in person, <laughs> but it looks good on camera and that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, and you'll see in sometimes like my character selfies that I take that the makeup looks a little weird because I'm doing it for this camera and not necessarily this very high tech phone camera. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it absolutely like, like combines everything that I love together. And I've just been going more and more and more ham as far as like getting really into it um, mm -hmm. for some of these, especially my like ongoing shows, I will buy um, and, and, spend my own money on character cosplays that yeah. I will wear week after week after week. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I, I, I love the commitment to it and I think it helps like um, when you perform, cause you are a really fantastic performer. When, when you perform, mm -hmm. I think it really shows like it's, you have, you're embodying that character. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, that 
having that, you know, the, the makeup, the costuming, whatever, um, I think helps to build into that. Like, you know, our friend Joe does that too. Um, and yeah, it, it's always great. I, I, uh, refuse to, to, uh, get dressed, uh, <laughs> for more than, for more than what's uh, necessary. So, um, that's not me, but I do, I do like it. And I think that it's great. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just kind of to go back to that entertainment part of it, like it is, that's what it is. It's entertainment. And yes, we are restricted to these squares that you see on your stream, but also um, what you do to put the most of that in for you, I think is is what makes it a great viewing experience, you know? Mm-hmm. It helps yeah. me embody the character too, I feel like. Like when I'm putting, like I have this like pre-stream ritual mm-hmm. I always do. And I will put on my character playlist and yeah. I'll be doing my makeup and I'll be putting the wig on and putting my outfit on, um, which this is the funny thing that I, I laugh about is that because it's for a stream, I only need to costume myself from like the waist <laughs> up because no one's yeah. going to see my legs. And so like I have all these like character cosplays that like don't include pants or shoes at all. <laughs> and it's just funny because um, then yeah. when I'm like at a convention and I'm like, wait, what if I want to wear this character cosplay? Mm-hmm. Um, I I am just like, oh, I need to figure out what I'm wearing for pants. <laughs> Yeah, because I don't think just about that. <laughs> show up in, in sweats. Um, yeah, that's so good. I know that. Yeah, like I think, yeah, for sure. Or just to cosplay. Or I was gonna say, like, if you ever do a live show, um, yeah, you know, that would be that would be pretty insane. Like, would you would you consider doing a live show if that was if that if the opportunity presented itself? Oh, absolutely. That is one of my goals for this next year. I want to yeah. do a in studio show. Um, so badly mm-hmm. um my biggest uh because i have been invited i have like open invitations i think like the biggest barrier for me is getting there because i'm based yeah. in massachusetts and a mm. lot of these studios are west coast yes um yeah unfortunately and and so the travel is way more expensive than i think what they would pay me mm-hmm. um and it wouldn't end up being worth it for me um, so I would need to find a show that is willing to fly me out if it's on the West Coast, um, yeah. or I can find some way to link it up with like an already existing vacation. Because mm-hmm. um, there's like Atlanta has a studio, and I have friends in Savannah, so I could like make that work. But yeah. anyway, long long way to say yes, I absolutely <laughs> want to do a live show. It is on my bucket list. Um, and I just, I just need people who, uh, want to hire me to do that. <laughs> we just need to get Connie and C to open up Transplanter Studios over there on the East coast. And then uh, I know they live like 40 minutes from me. Like, oh, like yeah. incredible. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're in the same state. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. And I know, um, Gabe Hicks has been hinting at doing that. Um, and they're in. I don't know, like Pennsylvania or something. So like, yeah, like I think that there's, there's definitely in the future, I'm sure that those opportunities will be more increased, but yeah, I think it's good to know, right. That you have those opportunities available. It's just finding the way to get there. Um, did you, if you don't mind me asking, did you grow up in Massachusetts? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was that like for you? Um, I definitely, I mean, outside like the, obviously you talked about the stuff in school not to cut you off, but like, you know, like just in general, um, you know, what was that like? Yeah. 
Um, so for those of you who don't know, I was adopted uh, when I was mm. eight months old mm -hmm. um, from uh, South China. I'm from this tiny little island off the coast of Southern China. It's very, very close to Vietnam. Um, and so a lot of people mistake me for Vietnamese, I think. Mm. Um, that that's been like a weird like I like we don't have to talk about this but like it's it's really weird when I tell people like I'm Chinese um sometimes mm -hmm. I am met with a response especially from other Chinese people like oh you're not Chinese um like you don't look Chinese you look Vietnamese or something because my skin is a bit darker I think than mm -hmm. the average north Chinese person yeah. um and you know colorism our favorite thing <laughs> right uh, yeah, yeah. and so I've been told throughout my life oh you look Vietnamese Anyways, I'm from South China, and I was adopted when I was eight months old, and I was brought almost 8,000 miles to Massachusetts, yeah. and um, I was raised in the same house my entire life. We never moved, um, and my town was actually pretty diverse, which I think yeah. is a unique experience for um, adoptees. Um, there's a lot of Asian people, um, specifically Indian, uh, Chinese, and Korean. Yeah. Um, but mostly Chinese and Indian. There's just so many um, of those like immigrant families in this town, um, which meant that I was definitely not the only Asian person in my schools. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of people that looked like me that I went to school with, but I didn't relate to them at all because most of them spoke their native languages at home. Mm. I didn't. And so it felt like, I, w I looked like them, but I wasn't one of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, was, I was adopted by Chinese people. Here's the other thing, too, is that, like, both of my parents are Chinese. If you look at a picture of my family, you know, to the undiscerning eye, you know, me and my brother, who are both adopted, we don't look adopted because our entire mm -hmm. family is Chinese. He's yeah. from Sichuan. I'm from southern china and the rest of my dad was a first gen immigrant his parents immigrated over um during the time in our history when chinese people were banned from coming to the u.s and then mm. my mom's family has lived in hawaii for the past like five generations um so there's a huge family on my mom's side um yeah. so she um she's chinese but you know neither of them speak chinese so we never spoke at home yeah. um and it was I don't know. Like it it's a very um affluent town with very good public schools. I think that's why all the immigrants were coming to this town is for the school system. Absolutely. Yeah. My high school was hell. Um mm. it was very, very hard. Um and I didn't realize how tough my school was until I got to college and yeah. those classes were about the same, if not easier as far yeah. as like gen eds go like who did this to me <laughs> no literally because like my relationship to academia is so unbelievably like fucked up yeah. um and you know it took until college to realize oh i'm not you know i'm not stupid um mm -hmm. for lack of better terminology i hate using that word but like yeah. i'm not stupid i've just went to a really hard school system that is incredibly hard on you and went to school with a bunch of people who are incredibly smart mm. um and made me feel less than even though nationally i was way above average yeah. and it was just it, it's it's weird 
it's something yeah. that you know I, I'm still like unpacking and like <laughs> processing post like high school is like you know grades aren't everything and right. all of that stuff but you know it took a long time for me to unlearn all of those things did they like was your school did they provide accommodation once you were finally diagnosed no I didn't no. have accommodations in high school. I didn't get accommodations until college and I was able to better advocate for myself because the other thing is that in that school, the pressure was so high that I felt like taking accommodations, I'd be judged for that. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that I, I didn't you know, I didn't pursue it because I was like, I'm not one of those students, whatever that means. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of those students. I don't need help. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think, I think I suffered for it, but the other, the other yeah. thing that also gets me is that I'm very good at test taking. Like I was a really strong test taker. So like, the the quote unquote normal accommodations I didn't really mm -hmm. need that like extra yeah. time on tests that kind of stuff I didn't need those accommodations because mm -hmm. you know I, I was very strong at tests um, but like other accommodations that could have helped me in high school would be like yeah. extra time on assignments like for homework in general like getting more time to turn things in you know it's like you know, I'm just thinking about all the things that I advocated for and asked for in college that helped me immensely. Mm -hmm. just, wow, that could help me in, in high yeah. school. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's yeah, it is very tough. Like, I think I'm glad that there's more uh, discussion and advocacy around um, neurodi neurodivergence because, I mean, for sure. Like, unless in, in I feel like there was always like at least in my high school, like it was always like, okay, we knew like the kids who were like diagnosed with ADHD, but there's so many other kids who should have been diagnosed with ADHD or autism that just flew under the radar, um, myself yeah. included. And so it's like, it's interesting now, my wife and I um, are in our thirties and I am now like learning about autism for myself and, and she's learning about ADHD for herself. And we have these young kids who uh our children um who are under five that we can like now we can understand more so that we can make sure that they get the accommodations that they need um and that's at five like i i can only imagine how much that would have been beneficial even like we talked about like in high school um but yeah i'm it sucks that that stuff wasn't there because i i could have used a lot of that help too absolutely um, and, instead of it learning like how to mask because i read fantasy books you know what i mean <laughs> no literally yeah and I, like it, it it makes me so sad to think about like all of these students who because they don't fit the mold of like the adhd white boy mm -hmm. kind of mold that students uh, sorry not students teachers are looking out for if mm -hmm. you don't fit that mold you're not going to get diagnosed yeah um and that just really sucks because you know accommodations would really help everyone achieve what they're able mm. to achieve yeah um and i don't know like i think there's also just at, at least in my school and i'm sure this is true for a lot of schools but like such a stigma around asking for help mm -hmm. and that's again something i had to really unlearn like by the time i got to college because i had to ask for a lot of help and a lot of support throughout yeah. college but um you know i 
I worked my ass off in art school and I graduated uh, summa cum laude, uh, which was a huge honor for me. I got straight A's the entire time. That's awesome. Yeah. And that was a really weird experience for me, like academically, because I was never a straight A student. I was like a B, C student, sometimes Mm -hmm. A's in my good subjects, but like I had to work for those. (laughs) Like (laughs) having a 4.0 was really, really weird for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't have been able to maintain that if I didn't have the accommodations and the help that I advocated for that I needed. Yeah. Yeah. Are you seeing like, you know, because so let's, I guess, let me, we'll, we might come back to this. So um, one of the things that you do is art direction. So you get to like see, uh, I guess you, I'll, I'll let you explain how the job works because I don't want to just put my, uh, ignorant bias on this of what the job is i'm actually really curious why don't you tell me what art directors (laughs) do (laughs) um all right let's see no so what i imagine is that you basically like give uh maybe like a design outline of like these are some of the pieces that we want for this and then um these are maybe styles that we're looking for uh and then as pieces come in then you kind of go through it and see like does this match what the um what the goal is for for the creative direction or is do we need to make these changes i yeah. guess is what i think okay that's, that's yeah you're on you're you're, you're pretty much got it and, and and it will depend on who your client is what the project is and like sort of what that whole vibe is um i can talk specifically about my art direction with games unbound because that's what i'm doing currently uh, that mm-hmm. is a contract position um and so for them, what I did, it was, the first thing I did was sit down for a consultation where, because yeah. um, I do art consultations. This is before I even got hired as art director. Mm-hmm. Um, I got, I sat down for a consultation and I was like, all right, you know, what do you want to make? And, um, you know, what are you looking for for art? And I was able to talk with um, the clients and um, say, okay, well, if you want this style of art and this, you know, like here is the average price that that might cost you. And, you know, if you want to pay, you know, industry standard or a little bit above industry standard, which is what we ended up going with because they were very adamant they wanted to pay people well, which, Mm -hmm. yay. Um, Paying people well is great. Um, (laughs) And and I was like, okay, so if you want 50 pieces of art in this style at this price, here is what your art is going to cost you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at that point, I was like, do you have an art director? And they were like, no. And I was like... (laughs) do you want one? Cause I do that. And they were like, yeah. yes, like we'd love to hire you. So that's kind of <laughs> how that happened. And yeah. then the rest of my job basically was, you know, taking what I learned from that first consultation meeting, put together a style guide with like, you know, this is the very specific style that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I put out an open call um, and, I, and that was just a Google form application. I got almost 300 applications wow. and I spent hours uh, <laughs> sorting through all these portfolios. I'm trying to narrow it down to 10 people to hire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what I was very um, proud about, um, because I don't see this in a lot of art calls, but I was very, very upfront in this application. I was like, here is when the art will be due. Like, here's your mm. timeline. Mm. We are paying $85 per piece and you'll be hired for um three to five pieces depending on artist availability whatever blah 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 um and so my plan was to hire um 10 artists who do five pieces each so then that's the 50 that I need yeah. um and so 
I sorted through all the portfolios. Um, I sent the acceptance um, emails to those who got accepted, see if they wanted in. And then after that all trickled down, I got all the acceptances, yeses. Um, project leads took over the sort of contract things. And then I was sending rejections to everybody else because I hate when I get ghosted. So I made sure that everybody right, got yeah, a response. Yeah. And then I sent them the style guide that I made. And then we were off to the races. Um, uh, you know, we had to wait for our Kickstarter to fund. So I was working with just a few of the artists who were doing pre-Kickstarter things. Um, and uh, so I walked them through. And then you were correct about the crit process. They send me work in progress. And I look at it. I give them crit. Um, and I make sure that they're staying within the bounds of the style guide that I put together so that all the art, despite having 10 different artists working on it, that all of the art would look like it belongs to the same book. Um, yeah. And uh, that was sort of like the thing that I was using to tie this whole thing together was um, color palette and general style, because mm -hmm. we were looking for a very, very specific style. Um, so just making sure like people stayed within that and then... Other than that, like it was just um you're you're basically a middleman liaison between the art team that you've hired and then talking with the project leads, talking with the writers, talking with our sensitivity consultant team to make sure that the art was all good with everybody. Yeah. Um and it was basically a lot of that and that that's what the job is. It's a lot of communicating, a lot of organization, um, having really a strong eye for visual design and being able to communicate your crit in a way that makes sense to artists. Yeah. Um and that is, you know, constructive and not just like, this sucks. Because, like, nobody <laughs> wants to get feedback like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, yeah, it's my job to help guide these artists to create something that, like you said, is in line with the creative direction and yeah. the visual style of whatever you're making. So, um, because you are an incredible artist. Like, the pieces yeah. that I've seen of yours are absolutely gorgeous. So, I'm curious, uh, because you could easily put your art in books um you know what i mean and and I'm, i imagine that's probably something that happens but like do you find that you have a preference over art direction versus doing illustrations or do you like do you like to maintain both of those or have a preference yeah i actually um i love doing both um if i had a choice i would do art direction professionally like as my quote-unquote day job mm -hmm. and then that would leave me to be able to take the illustration jobs that i want yeah. I could be more picky about it, about which projects I take on. Mm -hmm. um, because I think like a little bit too late into art school, I realized that it might not be a good idea for me as a neurodivergent person to hinge my entire uh, livelihood and career um, on my brain's ability to create something. Yeah. Um, and so... I was a bit too far into art school when I realized that, but I also realized that I love art direction because mm -hmm. you get to, you're still creating things, but you're not the one who's like actually making the art. Mm -hmm. um, and I was told throughout art school by my professors and my peers, like, hey, you'd make a good art director because you give really solid feedback. You have the communication skills and you have a good eye for art, like, like visually, aesthetically, all of that. Like I have the eye for that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that time I was like, oh, what's an art director? Like, what, what, what even is that? And I <laughs> talked to one of my professors who, who has done art direction and he was telling me about what that is like. And I was like, oh, that actually sounds really nice because, you know, I, I feel like I do have really strong 
communication and leadership skills mm -hmm. um, to do that kind of work. Uh, yeah. And I was like, I actually really like this. And, you know, as I was exiting art school, I was like, you know, art director, art direction is usually something you don't get to do until like five years into your career, five to 10 years, really. Yeah. Because um, it is a senior position. It is a leadership position. It's a management position. And normally you don't get to do it um, this soon out of art school. But um, here I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I love it. Like, yeah. like, like I having done it now. Um, and I will be doing it for all the witches um, in the coming new year. And mm -hmm. I will, I have some other art direction things that are cooking up in the pipeline that I'm excited for as well. Yeah. Um, but like now that I've done it, I know that, yes, this is my calling. Yes, this is what I want to do. And yeah. I want to do more of it. And I'd love to get a full-time job doing it at some point like that. That yeah. is a goal of mine. I think, yeah, I've, it's it's really fun when you can see how you can marry different skills in this way, which I think like I've really enjoyed, um, like having just finished my first like big game and I did all of it by myself, except for editing, uh, shout out to Indrani and uh, my friend Sade who helped with a portion of that. Um, but like I, you know, in terms of writing, doing the artwork, doing the layout and it's just like. God, it would be so nice to just be like, this is what I want. Please, somebody um, <laughs> go help, help anybody. Me. Help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but like, but in that same way, like I got to marry writing and game design in a way that I never even knew that was possible. Like game design wasn't even something that I thought I was able to do. I just thought games were made by some wizard on high you know what i mean like it <laughs> don't it look like behind a... the curtain <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you and then you get into like the teacher rpg space and you're like oh okay you can you know you can do this stuff you can like learn these skills or this this uh system or whatever and and try to take it on in your own way and i think that that's great that we have these opportunities to like apply these different skills that we've learned over time to to turn it into something that's something that I'm like dealing with right now because I I have a game on mm -hmm. my itch. It is a game that I wrote in my sleep, quite literally. <laughs> I sleep talk and my friends were smart enough to write it down. Nice. Um, and that game is on my itch, uh, existing purely as something I practice layout on because I also do layout for tabletop games. Yeah. Um, but I've wanted to make a game for like three years now mm -hmm. um and it's something that i just like i'm a perfectionist and mm -hmm. i am you know going back to all this like school stuff that i talked about earlier but like one of my greatest fears irrational fears is not being good at things even if it's yeah. my first time doing a thing i am not yeah. allowed to be bad at something <laughs> so when i try something for the first time i put immense pressure on myself for it to be professional level, to be something mm -hmm. that is basically good enough to hang with everyone who's been doing this for years. And yeah. so I've had it in my brain that I'm not a game designer. I don't know how mechanics work. I never learned this in school. So therefore, nothing I make will ever be good enough. And mm. so I've had lots of ideas for games over the years. Um, and I've never brought any of them to fruition because of this big fear that I have and I just inability to finish something. Yeah. Um, but this fall, I was able to do the tabletop mentorship program, mm -hmm. and I had uh, Viditya as my mentor, yeah. and he has been incredible to work with, and um, we are continuing to work on my game 
even though the mentorship has ended. Yeah. And I'm very, very excited for this because I am so close, so close to the finish line. And I'm genuinely so excited about this game because it's unlike anything I've seen before. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I'm making it for the most niche audience. Uh, it <laughs> is a long form epistolary hidden role game mm. of courtly political intrigue. Nice. It was inspired by The Flower Court by Jay Dragon and um, For the Queen by Alex Roberts. Yeah. And it's a letter writing game and you send letters through the mail um and you know every playbook has competing win conditions that you're trying to achieve by the end of the game. Um and nice. I I'm just I'm really excited about this and it, and yeah. once I get it done um I'll be doing the layout myself. Um I am currently talking with one of my friends who I want to hire to do my cover art. Mm -hmm. Um but other than that like the rest of it will be all me so i feel you on that with like doing everything yourself <laughs> yeah yeah it's it it is a lot and i, I like i definitely understand those fears because i think like i initially it took me almost a year a full year of like doing this podcast and talking to people to like finally go like okay this is something that i can do um but i think like now that it's done i've had the opportunity to talk to um, some like how can I put this? Some game designers that I really uh look up to and um really respect their opinion on, and a lot of the stuff that they've talked about was just like you actually finished a game, which is like not a thing that like people do. Um, and I don't feel like in that same way I wanted my game to be perfect too, but I also like was like, well, these are my limitations. I'm gonna do what I can. I want people to play the game and enjoy it. And if I can get that, then that's a start. And what I found is that there are people who have interacted with it who are now going, okay, this is good. And now like, I would like to help you make this better uh, mm -hmm. or help you achieve this other goal uh, with this game. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's definitely value in just like creating the thing and then and then putting it out there um as scary as that is <laughs> for sure because yeah. like my my thing is like i my whole goal with the mentorship program was just to finish something mm -hmm. to prove to myself that i can do it and that's yeah. like all i want because i think once i do one it'll be so much easier for me to bring to life all the other ideas that I've had knocking around right. in my brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really like that. If I hadn't made a one page RPG uh, on a whim after an interview, I, I wouldn't have made this game that I made uh, the corrupted. And so like, I think, yeah, it is like, it's almost like having a to-do list, right. Of just like, cool. I checked the thing off. Like that feels good. Now I can go check off another thing. And so um, it, the more that we can kind of, continue to meet those goals and move forward, I think is great. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I think that's really fun, your game. Um, and I've been recently and still currently uh, binge watching A Court of Fae and Flowers because I, I waited until it was all done. Um, and that epistolary phase is, is, uh, is fantastic in that show. Um, and I feel like this would be a fun thing to do. I'm yeah. very excited. Hopefully I'll have a play test soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh it's yeah i know it's it's one of those things like i think um i guess in terms like because i think I, I would like to explore that with you a little bit like 
outside of just like the letter writing portion of it, do you, did you have a, like when you're creating this game, do you think about like the way people interact with it? Was that something that came to mind for you at all? Oh, absolutely. Because like, I love hidden role games. Um, there are so many like really good hidden role games out there. I was looking at the resistance. I was looking at bang. I was looking at coup. I was looking at werewolf, like all mm. of these, all of these games that I have grown up playing. Um, and I was like, okay, what are the mechanics here? Because, you know, there's a lot of mechanics that go into hidden role games. Um, mm. And I'm like, okay, you know, what kinds of roles are there? Like, what are these win conditions? Um, because I knew I wanted something that was more interesting than just like the trader player and then everybody else. And then you have to try yeah. and find the trader player. Um, because I knew that for a long form game, that would put a lot of pressure on the one trader player. Mm -hmm. And that was not really fun for an extended period of time. And yeah. I also was like, you know, um, then, you know, there's some other games like Mafia where you have like the mafia that kill people. And then you have the angels that can save people and the mm -hmm. doctor or the whatever. And there's all these like other like special roles, mm -hmm. but then you end up in a situation where some of the players just get to be villagers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And for, yeah. again, for an extended long game that I'm planning will take three months to play. That's not very fun. If you don't get like a special thing to do, right? Like yeah, that's yeah. no fun. Yeah. Um, and so I knew that I wanted every player to have a role. And then I was like, I need to pivot away from the whole, like, find the traitor. And that is, that is how you win the game. We're mm -hmm. not doing that. Um, so I pivoted more towards, um, how the flower court approaches this, where every playbook has its own win condition mm -hmm. and all of these win conditions are competing against one another so that you know, more than one person can win the game or nobody can win the game. Mm -hmm. And then there's one player who's playing the queen, which is unlike yeah. uh, for the queen, where the queen is this nebulous NPC that everyone's talking about. Um, in this game, someone will be playing the queen and that that playbook does have a little bit of a different role um, in, in it. But, you know, the queen can also lose the game or mm. she could win the game. Um, and it was funny writing her playbook because she doesn't have win conditions. Um, more so, she has lose conditions where <laughs> you win unless these things happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was which was funny uh, for me writing that. I was like, she really just does lose conditions, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Um, but like, I knew that like the type of person that would be interested in a letter writing game. That was also a hidden role game. That was also long form, you know, like mm -hmm. there's a very, very niche audience, but yeah. damn, will I cater to them? Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I knew that I wanted to make this game for people like me who were really into these sort of themes and this political intrigue and like all of that stuff. And so I'm leaning heavily into those sort of themes and tropes and whatnot. And um, I'm just kind of like, this game is for a very niche audience, but I hope that the people um who find this game who love these kinds of games will see this and be like yes this was made for me and i mm. want to play it <laughs> because yeah. it was made for me yeah uh, <laughs> yeah no i and think so, that's yeah, yeah think there's there's definitely value in that um i mean because it's you know if if you wanted to make a game that's going to sell the most then you just clone D, &D right because that's like that's the formula, uh, at least currently. And so, yeah, I think there's so much value in in 
finding that niche and finding the thing that you want to achieve with the game and then working to achieve that um, through the mechanics. And so, yeah, I'm excited to see it. I'm, I think that'll be a lot of fun to um, to play and, and, to, and to just see how it goes for people. So, yeah, um, which I also think that's a great note to end on. Um, but what I just want to say is, one, it's been nice to finally get to sit down and chat with you uh, and talk about it and, and learn more about you and, and art and art direction and everything else. And um, so thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of uh, course. It's uh, very, uh, very cool um, to be asked to come on to these kinds of like interview shows. Um, I tell my parents, I'm like, I got an interview. And my parents are like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> they think that's so fancy. Yeah. So um, thank you for making me look good in front of my Asian parents. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, thank you for coming on the show. I, you never know when people are going to turn you down. So um, I'm glad that you didn't, and I'm glad we got to have this chance to talk um, genuinely. And I, I've been wanting to talk to you, and ah, so I I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, before I let you go, uh, one more time for people who uh, didn't take notes in the beginning, where can they find you, um, stuff that you're working on, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Um, cool. Hi, everyone. Uh, I have been Jay or Nala. Again, I go by both. I use they, them pronouns. And I am on Twitter at Nala Wu. That is N-A-L-A-W-U, Nala like the Lion King. Wahoo! Um, <laughs> or at Nala Draws, which is the same thing, Nala, and then draws like you're drawing. Um, Nala Draws, if you want to see my art Twitter. And then on every other social media, like TikTok, like Hive, if that ever comes back online. Um, <laughs> YouTube. Um, Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what social medias are out there. Um, but specifically I, I am active on TikTok. Um and I and I am on TikTok for fun. This was a rule that I set for myself is that I nice. I will not be a content creator on TikTok. I get to do TikTok for me and me mm -hmm. only. So if you want to see me do um lip syncs as my tabletop characters in cosplays, I do some thirst traps, I sing a bunch. <laughs> um or just like doing other like random things like that's my tiktok and i would appreciate if you gave me some serotonin and interacted <laughs> with my content content there it's fun content it's only for yeah, fun it's only um, for fun <laughs> my portfolio is knowledgedraws.com if you'd like to see my artwork um and my email is knowledgedraws at gmail.com if you want to hire me i am taking both uh, commercial inquiries and uh, private commissions for the holidays or what have you. Um, yeah. As far as projects I'm working on, uh, I will be art directing for All the Witches, which is a um, TTR, an original TTRPG system in an original uh, fantasy world. Um, it is, it, it's really, really cool. Um, this is my second time trying to pitch it off the cuff and I'm doing a terrible job, Emma. I'm so sorry. Um, but check, check them out. Uh, if you like witches, especially witches not made by turfs, um, mm. it's a really, really cool spin um, on this sort of genre. Um, there is an actual play, uh, play test, uh, showcasing the game system on Stella Luna, Stella Luna TV's twitch channel that i was on so you can watch me and a bunch of other really cool people play this game um you should totally watch it because we are a bunch of pirates who are in a polycule together and it's very gay um so totally uh if you want to like see what the system is check that out we're gonna have a kickstarter or some kind of crowdfunding um in the new year 
Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Very excited for that. Um, besides that, uh, my work, uh, I won a gold any, uh, me and the team uh, for um, Uncaged Goddesses, which is for mm -hmm. sale on uh, DM's Guild. Uh, we are really close to the, is it Adamantine? Like whatever the one selling 2000, I think copies is, oh, wow. <laughs> is, is hitting that. Um, I, I don't know if those are the numbers. I don't know numbers. I'm bad at math, uh, <laughs> but we're really close to hitting like the top thing. So that's super, yeah. super exciting. Um, I also did work on apocalypse keys, which is coming out soon. Yeah. Um, the Adventuring Artist Tarot Deck, which is for sale on dieharddice.com. Um, it features 22 artists from the TTRPG community, and you can buy, it's the Major Arcana. Um, the cards are beautiful, y'all. Mm. Um, and I got to do the moon card, which is very cool and very special to me because I drew the moon as the uh, moon goddess Changa from my culture, which is very cool. Yes. Um, what else have I done? As far as like stuff coming up, um, I am on a all Asian cast of Vampire the Masquerade called Itaewon by Night. It streams Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Going Critical TTRPG. Um, and I am playing um a Venturu Ancele named Verdian Song. Um, and I am so 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 excited uh for this <laughs> game. Um as of this recording, we only have three episodes out, so it's super easy to catch up. All the VODs are on YouTube. That's Going Critical TTRPG. Um, I, uh, oh, I'm blanking on stuff now. I'm on Divine Interventions on Alternating Mondays, where I play Erasabeth Movey, who is essentially an immortal mob boss and is <laughs> the, um, the uh, representation of Wrath. Um, mm -hmm. And that that's a really cool character and super fun game to play in. Um, and as far as all the other cool stuff that I got cooking, I guess you just gotta follow me because I'll be <laughs> yeah. screaming about it online. This was the longest pitch for myself ever. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> you do a lot of great stuff, so it's there's good. A, there's a lot it's of good. things to talk about. Yeah. A lot of things. Um, and I'm like picking my words very carefully because I want to talk about some things, but I have NDAs, so cannot <laughs> talk about things. Yeah. Uh, but yes, follow my socials, and that will be the best place to find out about all the other cool things. Um, but yes, I wanted to thank you again. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I really, really appreciate it, and it's been lovely getting to chat with you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. You too. Absolutely. Yeehaw. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show, and if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. Until next time.